Well, this morning, we're a little bit slimmer this week because of weather and other things going on. But imagine with me that instead of weather and illness and what other commitments, let's, let's imagine that the gaps in this room are actually coming from a different reason. Imagine that if the family that usually sits over here, we don't have a sign seat, so you, you know, I'm, I'm not implying the person who usually sits here because uh, few are bold enough. I mean, we have Dolly who sits in the front row because you're a strong woman. Thank you. Brave, brave, courageous. Uh, but let's, let's say that maybe they, um, they aren't here this morning because their house got vandalized last night. Um, and so they had to stay at home and, and, you know, start picking stuff up. Let's say the family that sits over there, uh, isn't able to make it because, well, they're in prison. Let's say that the people that usually the, the lady that sits over there, um, she wasn't able to make it because she's been harassed all week. And, and she just, just like had to just bunker down at home for a while. Let's say that the family that usually sits over here, um, they, they just are kind of like, you know what? We're not going to put our kids through this anymore. We are not going to, to put ourselves in, in ridicule and harassment and, and oppression. Um, we don't want to raise our kids in this. Um, and so they just, they just said, no, no more. We tap out. Um, let's say that the people that live over there, sit over there and there and back there, well, they were actually killed this week. Why? Because of their faith in Jesus. Now, all of a sudden, Sunday mornings take on a little bit of a different flavor, right? Like, all of a sudden, it's kind of like, Jason, don't turn the worship up so loud. We don't want other people to hear it, right? Maybe let's not meet in front of windows where people can see us. Stop putting the, the signs out so that people can find us. Uh, I mean, it's still hard, but... <laughs> but quite so easily, right? All of a sudden, we start to experience things a little bit differently when we are talking about being a follower of Jesus, studying his word, praying, worshiping, and let alone sharing about our faith in public. Things take on a little bit of a different light when we're under persecution. Something we don't really think about is that right now, one out of seven followers of Jesus around the world is being persecuted in some form or another. One out of five Christians in Africa are being persecuted. Two out of five in Asia are being persecuted as we speak. It's estimated that around 6,000 believers in Jesus are killed every year. Every year, 6,000 people. Now, it's much higher. I know there's some, depends on what, what, where you go to get your, your, your stats and stuff. Some say 100,000, some say way more than that. If you figure in genocides and things like that, that are religiously motivated, like uh, things that happen in the Congo and in Rwanda and things like that. Yeah, all of a sudden that bumps the average like dramatically up. But on average, on a good year, 6,000 Christians are killed for their faith in Jesus every year. Now, that means that that's 17 every day. So at some point during our gathering here together, a brother or sister in Jesus somewhere around the world is going to be killed because of their faith in Jesus. 
pretty sombering, right? That's, that's kind of a little bit of a different picture than what we get. Now, I don't share that this morning to make us feel bad, to feel guilty, or to sensationalize. But what I want us to do is to crawl outside of our normal, comfortable, affluent bubble this morning so that we can capture a glimpse of the passage that we're going to study. We need to understand it a lot better. This morning, we're going to see that the struggles, the trials, and even the persecutions that we might experience can actually lead us to purification and victory. Now, last week, we looked at uh, Jesus's letter in the book of Revelation, uh, Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, and he was talking to the city of Ephesus. Ephesus um, was in modern-day Turkey, and, and what had happened is that they had been really successful in their missionary work, and, and things were going really good and to where they didn't even really need Jesus to keep things moving anymore, right? Like, like they were just going through the motions. They had, they had a, lot of, a lot of past success. But what had happened was that their hearts had fallen out of it. And, and all the chaos of their community was, was creeping in. And it's kind of like, well, let's just go through the motions of what we need to do. And then we can kind of go along with the, with the culture of the rest of the week. And, and Jesus says, how dare you? You lost your first love. And he says, remember how far you've fallen, repent and return to your first love. Now that was pretty, pretty powerful, right? But this morning, we're going to see a, a very different experience in the church of the city of Smyrna. Now, Smyrna is actually, uh, it's, it's a modern day, it's in modern day Turkey. It's actually, they changed the name over, you know, different ruling governments and stuff like that. It's actually Izmir. I-Z-M-I-R, Turkey. It's, it's the actual city, what's going on there. Um, in that day, uh, remember, this is under the Roman Empire. In that day, it was considered the first city of Asia. It was very, the, the Roman, now Asia is, again, not what we think of Asia, but modern-day Turkey. It was, it was loved by the Roman uh, by the Roman government, the Roman emperor, especially because they were all in on this whole Roman empire thing. They loved Caesar. In fact, they were the biggest city that promoted Caesar worship because Caesar said, not only am I your human ruler, but I'm also divine. So worship me as you would a God because I am God. And so they were like, yes, they had a, they had a temple built to the Roman emperor to where they could go and worship him and, and be devoted uh, to him. And so, so the Roman Empire called uh, Smyrna the first city of Asia. Now, Smyrna actually comes from the word myrrh. Now, myrrh is a, it's a gum resin that comes from the thorny myrrh tree. Uh, you can kind of see, I have a couple pictures up here. Uh, the myrrh tree, it's, it's, it grows in rocky, dry, arid, desolate desert right? Like it comes up out of this inhospitable um, uh, climate. And what's, what's interesting is that um, these trees are full of sap. And so the next one, they actually wound the tree. They cut, they press the tree to have this sap come out. And when the sap comes out, uh, they let it dry and it kind of goes into these kind of these crystals and, and, then, and, this, and then they grind it into this powder and then the powder is used uh, in all sorts of, of uh, perfume, healing medicines, and then it's also used in burials, like embalming and things like that. So it's a burial spice. So perfume, medicine, 
and burial, right? Pretty broad spectrum of the use of myrrh. Now, the myrrh actually was one of three sacred uh, aromatics in ancient times. This was so rare and so valuable that, that a pound of myrrh was way more valuable than a pound of gold. So, I mean, we're talking this resin was legit. It was the number one uh, uh, export of Smyrna. Now, if myrrh sounds familiar, it should, because if you know your Bible, where is myrrh included in the Bible? The birth of Jesus and the death of Jesus, right? That's a little bit of foreshadowing that where we're going with Smyrna. So what does Jesus have to say to the church in Smyrna? Revelations chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. If you want to read along out there or on your phone or if you're, uh, we're going to kind of just break through this section and, and dig in as we go. Verse 8. Jesus says, write this letter to the angel of the church of Smyrna. This is the message from the one who is the first and the last, who was dead, but is now alive. Now, this whole thing of the first and the last, this comes from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6, it says, I am the first and the last. There is no other God, period. This is God, Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, God of the Jews, right? Like the Jewish God. And he says, I am the first and the last. There is no other God, period. Then in Isaiah chapter 48, verse 12, it says, I alone am God, the first and the last. So here's Jesus making this bold statement that only God made in the Old Testament. Jesus is saying, I am the first and the last. That is a bold declaration that Jesus says, I am God. Again, the Trinity is so hard to understand, and I still don't fully understand it, but right here, Jesus is saying, I am the first and the last. God and I are one, right? And so that's a pretty bold statement. And then he follows it up with, I was dead. He's talking about how, yeah, I was living with you. Some of you are old enough to where you remember me in person, you knew me in person. You heard me speak. You saw me work miracles. You heard, you, you saw the way I interacted with people, right? But then you saw me crucified. Maybe you literally watched me take my last breath and whisper and, and, and shout out, it is finished. Maybe you were there. I was dead. But maybe you also saw me after I was resurrected. And so he says, I was dead. He was fully God. He became fully human. But then as a human, God... <laughs> He overcame death. So this statement right away establishes that, that Jesus is eternal and he's sovereign. He holds the past, the present, and the future in his hands. It's all under his control. Why does he start off with a statement? I'm a Nebraska boy. I grew up in the middle of a cornfield, right, in the, in the 70s and 80s. And I am back. I was the youngest of five kids, a.k.a. I was the remote for the TV. We didn't have a remote. You had, you had the, the rabbit ears and the, and the fine tuning dial. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Jason, go change the channel. Good. Jason, go move this. Jason, go do that. Right. That's how old I am. So it's not like we could have the internet. We had phones, things like that. And, and, and when the power went out, you had no TV, right? I don't know if you knew this, but Nebraska has a lot of storms during the summer and they get really violent hail, wind, tornadoes. It's, it's, it's crazy, right? Well, when the power goes out, what do you have? You have on top of the fridge, you have the, the, the storm radio, right? Did any of you grow up with a storm radio in your house? 
some fellow Midwesterners or, or Islanders. There you go. A tsunami coming in, right? But you know, all of a sudden you hear that, it's going off, right? And it's getting the NOAA reports and everything like that. Well, when I was a kid, every time there was a storm, two things, my parents would do two things. One, my mom would get us younger kids together in the middle of the house and we would huddle together like a mother hen and her little chicks on the couch. And my dad, BA as he was, he would be out like monitoring the radio. If there was no radio reports, he'd be outside looking around. You know what? I felt very comfortable because I knew my dad and my mom. They weren't, they weren't snowflakes. They weren't wimps. They were tough Midwestern folk, right? Like they grew up in the, in the not, not quite the depression, but, but they, were, they were tough human beings. And so I would, I would cuddle up under my mom's arm and I would watch my brave dad run out to go see, is there a tornado or not, right? And I was scared, but yet because of the, the, the sovereignty of my parents, because of the authority of my parents, I felt okay. This is a clue of why Jesus says, I'm the first and the last, the Alpha and Omega. I was dead, but I conquered death. Death has nothing on me. This should be piquing our interest because just how bad is it going to get that he has to start off like this, right? It's going to be really bad. Verse nine, I know about your suffering and your poverty. Now we can say that of like, oh, things are probably pretty rough. And maybe, you know, you just, you know, maybe the, the end of the month comes a little bit quicker. Uh, the end of your paycheck becomes a little bit, uh, comes a little bit sooner than the end of the month, right? I mean, probably a lot of us have been there. Um, and we get that. That's not what he's talking about. The word poverty literally means to be destitute without op options. Like every day you're wondering where your next bite of food is going to come from. You're wondering, are you going to have anything in your life? And then <clears throat> the suffering literally means this word in, in Greek means afflictions, tribulation, trouble, anguish, persecution, distress. In fact, this word is also used in Pressure, pressing, just like myrrh. How do you get the myrrh sap out of the tree? You wound it, you press it. And so Jesus is saying, I know the pressing that you're under right now. It's not easy, but he sees it. But then he flips it around and he says, but you know what? You're actually rich. You're rich. You have nothing to your name. Everybody wants to kill you because of your belief in Jesus. But you know what? You're rich. This is echoing. This is echoing what uh, the word rich literally means wealthy, abounding in resources, abundantly supplied. This echoes Jesus' teaching in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to 3, 3 through 12. You can read it later on. But he says, Blessed are the poor, the mourning, the humble, the hungry, the thirsty, the persecuted. Why is he saying you are blessed if you are those things? Because everything is taken away other than Jesus. Jesus is up to something so much more in their lives than what they could see with their eyes. It gets us to a point to where, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Do you? Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Do you? Do you? Yeah, I believe in Jesus. But do you? If you would show up on a Sunday morning knowing that they're in prison, they had to pick up the rack from their home. They were killed. They were killed. They just left because they couldn't take it anymore. Would you really believe Jesus? 
That's when we get to the actual belief and trust in him. He says, you're rich because you've gotten to the rock foundation of Jesus in your life. And most people won't really experience the fullness of that. He says, yes, on the outside, you're suffering. You have nothing, but on the inside, you have what matters most. And then he continues in verse nine. I know the blasphemy. Now the word blasphemy literally means the word slander. Evil things are being said about them. He says, I know the blasphemy of those who are opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Whoa. I just said that out loud and it's out in the ether, right? Are we an anti-Semitic? Uh, 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 are we, is this an anti-Semitism verse? No, it's not. Because God started the Jewish faith. Jesus came from the Jewish faith. Most of the disciples, people who wrote the Bible, most of the early believers of Jesus were Jewish, right? And so never allow someone to use this verse out of context in an anti-Jewish way. That is not the heart. That is not the soul of this at all. It has no place whatsoever in, in our thinking. So if, if you've been taught that before, just rebuke that, get that out. He is not saying bad things about Jewish people. What he is doing is he is saying, be careful about anyone, anything, any place, any experience, any system, any religion, any liter, uh, leader, any code, any policy, any agenda that seeks to take the place of Jesus. Anything that tries to take the place of Jesus is against Jesus. What's, what's really interesting is, is that what was going on was that a lot of the religious people of that, of that time, of that place, they were kind of like, yeah, we're totally pro-Rome. Like they compromised the core of their beliefs so that they could be accepted by the Roman government. And then what happened was that because they cooperated, there were certain rules that didn't apply to them, right? And so as long as you belong to this religion and you played by this set of rules, you were left alone. But what happened was that the Christians were saying, I'm Jewish too. They were saying, no, you're not. No, you're not. And so what happened was that the Christians came under the rules of the Roman Empire. And so at a saying amnesty with, with this community, they were thrown out onto their own, and then the Roman government said, well, you say that Jesus is God instead of Caesar, so we're going to kill you because that's treason, right? And so that was just gut-wrenching, and, and it, this was the reality of, of what was going on in their time. And so when Jesus says that their synagogue is of Satan, synagogue literally means congregation assembly, and Satan, the word for Satan, means the adversary, and so he says, instead of being this, this um, just whatever group, it's kind of like, no, they're actually being a part of the persecution against you. They are the adversary. They aren't, but the one behind it is. And so we have to just look at this and just say, anything that seeks to take the place of Jesus is not just harmless or whatever. We need to be extremely smart with what we allow to influence are what we say is our faith in Jesus. Verse 10, he says, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. Now that word test means examine, to prove, to ascertain the quality of. It's kind of like if you want to see how pure something is, what do you do? You melt it down to see how much extra stuff in there. If you want to get to the core of something, you burn away all the extra stuff. He says, yeah, 
You're going to be thrown into prison, but it's going to be a time of testing and revealing of what's really inside of you. He says, you will suffer. Again, that word is pressing or pressure. You're going to suffer for 10 days. Now, again, the whole thing of in Revelation, there's there's a lot of debate over numbers and days and all that kind of stuff like that. Um, that what we need to understand is that the word that's used here for day can be a 12-hour day, a 24-hour day, or a period of time. Which is it? We don't know. Maybe he literally meant 10, 12-hour days. Maybe he literally meant 12, uh, 10, 24-hour days. Or maybe he meant for a period of time. I don't know. I wasn't there. All I know is he says, you're going to suffer for a determined period of time for a reason. Now, that doesn't sound like very much fun, but the cool thing is, is he says, there'll be an end to it. It's not going to define you forever, right? It's going to be for a season, for a reason. You're going to get through it. And that's where he says in, in the second part of verse 10, he says, but if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Now, the fun thing about crowns is that you had your royal crowns, but you also had your athletic crowns. Um, it was a prize. It was a reward for the victor. Now, verse 11, he says, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious, that word victorious means persevere, overcomes. Whoever perseveres and overcomes will not be harmed by the second death. We're all going to die. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when and how, right? Like over the years, I've just, it's like, it's, it's, it's hard. It's, it's just, but it's just death is a part of life, right? We all are born, we live, we die. But what should scare us is the second death is we have the physical death, but the second death is the spiritual death. We don't, like to talk about that very much because we all have visions that we're all going to die and then go become little cherub angels and and we can kind of do whatever we want for the rest of eternity right but there's a reality that if you know god and you're with him here on earth you will be with him in eternity if you don't want god in your life here on the earth then you're kind of like you know what i don't really there's too many rules he's just bossy he's too controlling i don't like what he allowed to happen while we're here if we don't want him here on earth why the crap would we want him for all of eternity it's common sense people would say why would god send someone to hell i don't think he sends i think he allows I think he gives us this time on earth to make our decisions. Do I see the goodness of who God is? Do I invite that? Do I surrender to that? Do I walk in that in my few years here on earth? Do I live in the presence of God here on earth? Not being perfect, not being goody two shoes, not doing a whole list of do's and don'ts, but really having a relationship with him here on earth. If I do, then eternity with, heaven, with, with God in heaven is going to be awesome. But if I don't like him here on earth, why would I magically all of a sudden like him for eternity? You see the logic of that? Is somehow our culture has twisted that around. And we got to be, be smart about that, of really think about what we're saying and what we're believing. And so he says, if you stick with me here on earth, if you trust me, if you believe me, if you walk with me here on earth and you overcome the, tr the struggles, the trials, the tribulations, the, the, the persecution, whatever it might be, if you st <clears throat> stick with it, I'll give you a victor's crown. It'll be your reward. And that reward is eternal life, capital L life. Now, this weekend, I actually went to Carter and Colson's uh, indoor track meet at BYU. 
it was, it was really, I, I'm, I love track meets. I, I know you can tell I look like a track runner, you know, um, I do all the events in track. Um, I was a thrower and a jumper. I, I once had to run the 400. I got done shot putting and throwing discus and I went into the gym and I ate my 10 course meal that my mom who, you know, I'm a mama's boy. I love her. She over like two sandwiches, like fruit, veggies, like, like uh, apple turnover thing and pop and everything like that. I'm just gorging. Right. And, and it's freezing cold outside. So that's why we're in the gym. Um, and all of a sudden, uh, Larry Van Cura, Vanny, he, or coach or track coach, he would come in and query, you're running the 400. You got to get going. Right. And I was like, no, I'm not. And he goes, yes, you are. They're starting right now. And so I went running outside and I, and I get out there and it's freezing cold and it's super windy. And I had thrown in my sweats, right? Because underneath my sweats were the tiny little 1980s, early nineties, uh, jogging shorts. Um, you get the idea and, and a little mesh tank top, right? Stop visualizing it. Come on, Gabe. I know. Come on. So I'm kind of like, do I run with my sweats? And everybody else has on all the fancy tights and everything like that. So I just, without even thinking, I just strip down to like the bare minimum and I, and I'm running and I'm like, I'm in a slow heat. I'm in the slow heat and I'm on the struggle bus and there are kids ahead of me that I know I'm way more athletic than, and I'm just going and, and in the back stretch, I'm like going into this beautiful Nebraska 50 mile an hour win. And I'm like, ah, you know, like I look like I was in slow motion, not because they slowed the video down because I was actually like, da, 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 right. Just trying to get through that wind. And my legs were freezing and burning at the same time. I produced my own icy hot. It was glorious. I come around to the other side. And now that strong wind is at my back. My legs decided they had had enough. They were done. And I literally fell across the finish line. Now, what's funny is that when I fell, I was battling with this guy about this tall for last place. Like to, to who wouldn't get in last place. And, and it looked to everybody like Quaring was so desperate not to get in last place. It's like, like that, you know, no, my legs just stopped. It was terrible. It was terrifying. And I go to Vanny. I said, Vanny, I'm never running this again. If you make me, I'm going to quit. Right. But so fortunately, Carter and Colson did not fall across the finish line um, yesterday. It was really fun uh, to watch them compete. But what was so interesting is I was sitting there literally all day and watching race after race after race after race. You see these athletes come across the finish line and they are in such, I mean, they're like, like this and, and everybody rushes around and race after race after race. And what's crazy is they're going to do it again next week. What's wrong with these people? Like, I just don't understand. Right. But what's crazy though, is that even with all the pain, all the agony, all the people that finished kind of high in their, in their races, they're all around kind of the podium and they're all like, yeah, way to go. Right. And they're hugging each other. They're smiling. They're laughing ever. They're congratulating. But you know what else? There's other people who finished, didn't like how they finished and they just go off. Just like, why did I just do that? It was hard to watch. And so when we're looking at what Jesus is saying as far as, hey, if you persevere, if you stay with me, if you truly put your faith in me, you're going to get a crown of victory. Now, that might sound terrible because some get crowns and some leave the track meet dejected, right? Now, that would be terrible. But here's the thing. Jesus doesn't say finish first. He says finish and you get a crown of victory. Just finish the race. 
Just put your faith in, in me and every day, just rely on that relationship. Believe what I did for you. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't give in. Trust and follow. Paul says the same thing in James chapter one, verses two through four. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind comes your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. Okay, wait. When, okay, first of all, it doesn't say if, it says when troubles come, look for the joy in it. Well, why? He says, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Jesus himself shows us the same example. Uh, in First Peter chapter 2, it says, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He's your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned. He never deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, we are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of our souls. That's powerful. <laughs> we don't have to knit, you know, just grit through it, right? We recognize that Jesus already did all that he's asking us to do. And really, he says, it's finished. I won the race for you. You just have to follow me. You don't have to earn it, achieve it. You don't have to do it. Just, just follow because he already paid the price. Now we get to run the race in freedom. Jesus himself shows that from his suffering and his persecution comes our purification and our victory. So here's three quick principles that we can learn from this letter. Number one, the wounding and the pressing of suffering and persecution reveals what's inside of us. When we are pressed, what comes out? When the times are hard, what's revealed? When our relationships with our finances, when, our, when, when, when we experience temptation, when, when people make fun of us, when all those things are happening, when we are pressed, when we are squeezed, what comes out? It reveals what's really inside of us. I can make myself look really, really good. I can keep up appearances. I can say all the right things. I can do all the right things. But when we are under stress, our true self is revealed. That's kind of scary, right? But hardships can make us vulnerable if we allow it. Number two, it becomes something that purifies. So when what gets revealed, we can either deny it, excuse it, uh, embrace it, rationalize it. We can do whatever we want. But what, when, when the things like that are revealed, we need to take it to Jesus for purification, right? Because all the junk is going to come out with the good, and when we take it to Jesus, he gets rid of it for us. He delivers us from it. He sets us free from it. Number three. So it reveals, it purifies, and number three, it multiplies. Early in the church, there was a, a leader named Tertullian. He actually tried pleading with the Roman emperor to say, hey, you're, you're persecuting us. 
but the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Every time you try to mow us down, we sprout up five more heads, right? And he's kind of saying, you know, if, if you want to keep doing it, that's up to you. But I'm going to let you know that the more you persecute us, the more we're going to grow. You look at where the church is growing most in the world, two out of five people are under, uh, under persecution in Asia. That's where the church is going to pass this. It, it's kind of like the, the, the trends follow, the trends of growth follow the trends of persecution. There was a season where Asia was kind of like, well, if you can't beat them, join them, try to control them, right? And when it was accepted and the pressure was taken off, all of a sudden it stagnates. And then all of a sudden they start ramping up the, the rules against them again. It starts to grow again. Why is the church dying in the land of the free, home of the brave? Because there's no price for us. There's no price. Yeah, I mean, we people might say, oh, you're one of those wacky Christian people, whatever. Really? That's persecution? <laughs> no one's holding a gun to our head. No one's taking our, our kids away from us, right? No one's throwing us in jail yet, right? But it multiplies if we allow it to reveal what's inside, to purify and to get rid of all the junk that comes with it, it will actually, in its purest form, multiply. Healthy things grow. One more thing here is that it's really, I don't think it's a mistake that to Ephesus, uh, he promised the tree of life uh, to that church and to the church in Smyrna, he promises us the crown of life. So we have a tree to where an intimate relationship and to those who are downtrodden, he promises the crown of life. Okay, last, really quickly, bridging the gap between belief and action, knowing and doing. First of all, how can we allow our trials, our hardships, our struggles, even any persecution that we might face, reveal what's inside of us? How can we intentionally this week, when, when, when something, when someone cuts us off, on the road, right? I always, um, I always laugh. I'm a, I'm, I'm a confessed uh, road rage person. I'm working on it. Jesus is working on me. Um, but whenever that happens, I'm, I'm trying to allow the spirit to say, "Hey, Quaring, you're a jerk, right? Just, just let's not, let's not forget about it. You're nice over here, but over here, you're not so nice, right?" So, I, how can I allow him to reveal what's still inside of me that I need to surrender? Two, how can we learn, how can we lean into these things instead of running away, excusing or denying them, right? We need help. We all need help. Every single one of us was not meant to run this race alone, right? We need to enlist the help of others around us. If there's something that we're struggling with, if there's something that we're revealing that that's being revealed, instead of just trying to say, well, I'm just going to deal with this on my own. You know what? There's probably other men and women around us that have dealt with the same thing, or maybe they're quietly struggling with the same thing, but they don't have the courage. All they need is someone to say, I'm struggling with this. And I was like, well, I am too. And we can, we can multiply that, right? We can help each other in that. And then last, how can we share what we're learning with those around us? Again, there's people around us that need to hear what God is revealing and purifying in us. How can we allow him to multiply this I always say that pain is a great equalizer is that I might be experiencing this. I might've experienced this and you know what, probably someone else is too, or something similar to it. Let's let our story connect with the story of the people around us. So this morning, how can we allow the suffering 
to be used by God to purify us and lead us to victory. I know a lot of us just, there's things that we deal with, right? How can we allow God to bring purpose and value and intent to that? I think we need to be careful about anything that tries to, to attach itself on to Jesus and says, no, it's, it's about this and it's that, and, and kind of subtly taking the attention off of who Jesus is and the work that he did and what he can and will do. We need to be really careful about that. Our culture is full of parasitical things that tries to hijack the gospel of Jesus. But let's lean in in that time of hardship, struggle, persecution, trial, to allow God to reveal, to purify, and to multiply. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the fact that you don't put us through these experiences on our own. We don't just blindly go through things that you don't know about that's outside of your control. Yeah, we can say, well, what, if God's in control, why does he allow these kind of things? Well, we don't really fully know, but we know that no matter what we face can be used by you. I don't think you cause everything, but you can work through everything. And so God, help us to, to examine what we put our belief, what we put our faith in. Is it ourselves? Is it a leader? Is it a, is it a religion? Is it a system? Is it some agenda that's out there that, that we're being told we need to sign up with? What, whatever it is, God, I pray that you would just show us how you are the center of everything. God, help us to rely on you every moment of every day. When we're, when we're fighting that fight, when we're, when we're in that race and we just are, are, are we're hurting and we feel alone and, and we're just running into the wind and our legs are wanting to die on us. God, help us to remember that we are with you. We're not running on our own. We're not in the struggle on our own. God, you've won that victory for us. God, I pray that your spirit would just reveal the things that, that we're being pressed in right now. And that we would see what we need to see. That we would bring it to you. That we would enlist the help of each other. God, that we would saturate it with prayer. We'd, we'd cover it with your word. God, we would just take it to you. God, I thank you that you're a loving God. Thank you that you're in every moment of this with us. God, help us to run to you and to experience the victory that you've already won for us. Praise to your name. Amen. Can I get a stand?